105 years ago, in 1914, during an age of great exploration and uh, curiosity, people were climbing mountains and exploring jungles and really interested in uh, seeing the, the great adventures of life, going to places that were yet unknown, experiencing adventure, Ernest Shackleton uh, with 27 other men boarded a ship heading to the Antarctic. And uh, their goal was to traverse the Antarctic from one side to the other. It was the last remaining uncharted continent on the planet. Their journey took two years, and uh, it did not turn out the way that they had expected. As they got into the waters, they continually uh, got colder and colder, they uh, found themselves and their ship encased in an ice flow. The ice came and formed around them until they could not sail any longer. They were just being carried along with this mass of ice through the waters. For ten months, their ship remained in that ice. They got off of their ship and set up two different camps on that ice flow that in many cases could be miles across. And eventually, after ten months, their ship was crushed between two ice floes. They had three lifeboats, very small, and they got on these lifeboats. For the next week, they uh, navigated the seas around the ice uh, through the harrowing evenings, not knowing if they were still together or if others had literally drifted off to their death. And somehow they found themselves on Elephant Island, which is an uninhabitable space. It's nothing but rock and ice, and there they stay. Their journey had not turned out the way they had expected it would have been understandable had they, uh, because of that, just given up hope and given into a sense of despair and that all was lost. They had one choice really to make, and they took one of those small lifeboats and they, they tried to retrofit it. About a half a dozen crew members with Ernest Shackley got on that boat to travel 850 miles across some of the harshest ocean on the planet, in the South Atlantic. They were going and heading toward a little speck in that vast ocean called the South Georgia Island, where some whaling outposts happened to be. There they go for 15 days. They float. The men left back on Elton Island have no idea what's happened. Every day they would get up and put uh, outlooks out to see if uh, rescue ships were, were coming back. But 15 days later, Ernest Shackleton and that small crew actually found the South Georgia Island. And they were eventually able to bring back a rescue ship to uh, rescue the men. Did I tell you the name of the ship? It was almost prophetically named Endurance. It would have been understandable had they given up hope and given in to despair. And our lives sometimes can feel that way. I really believe with all my heart that God has designed your life and mine to live in a great adventure with God. To cooperate with God in so many things that He's doing in His world and in your world. That's what our lives are designed to be. But along the way, circumstances can, can emerge sometimes seemingly out of nowhere, and, and it can encase us with obstacles, and we can feel like we're just floating along 
at the mercy of the, the elements around us. And these obstacles can make us feel stuck or powerless or afraid, distressed and demoralized. And they can plunge us into despair. And in those moments, we, we can cry out to God and we can say, say God, I, I didn't expect my life to be here. I thought I was going to be over there, but now I find myself here instead. And I don't understand what you're doing. And I, I'm beginning to wonder if I can really trust you in the midst of all of this. Perhaps you had dreams as a young life, young person that never developed. You might say in this age and stage of your life that you were once physically strong and healthy, but today you've been diagnosed with, and you fill in the blank, maybe you've been overwhelmed with unexpected expenses and, and you're frantically bailing out the water of your financial boat. Maybe there is a relationship for you that you are convinced would last to the end of time and it has inexplicably crumbled and you don't know what's happened. You thought your job would develop into a pathway of advancement that would be perpetually ongoing upward and and now you feel maybe it's a dead end. Maybe you're one who has a child who is walking on the edge of ruin and makes choices that fill you with dread. And your heart cries out in these seasons, perhaps, God... Can you be trusted? I want to remind you today that as we've been focusing our minds on Easter, which is coming in a few weeks, that it's because of Easter. Easter screams out to us that God can be trusted through all of these circumstances. Because our tendency is that when circumstances go to a place we didn't expect, is that we get so focused on the circumstance that we begin to lose sight of God. And when we lose sight of God, we lose trust in His presence and His ability to enter into our situation or to guide us through our situation. Just after the crucifixion, when Jesus was taken away and He was executed in that horrific Roman style of execution and He was buried away. A couple of days later, the disciples, the Bible describes them as as huddling in fear. They're not just behind closed doors with the window shades drawn and the doors are locked. Because in their heart, and you would be too, you would be thinking just like them, that if they've taken our leader away and executed him, it's just a matter of time before the list is going to come out of who was his associates, and they're going to come and get us too. It still happens around the world, brothers and sisters. There are churches in persecution that continue to live in different places under this sort of sense of threats. But they continue to gather and they continue faithfully to worship. But they, they, they're standing there in John chapter 20 and, and all of a sudden out of their fear, Jesus shows up in their midst. And this is what he says. He says, peace be with you. Now that may not be so wow. But it, it is a hearkening back to something he had told them previously before he was taken away for his crucifixion. And here's how it goes. In John chapter 13, we see the disciples, before they're huddled in fear, before Jesus had been executed, before they had seen Him risen to new life again, when they were still in that moment of wondering, this is not what we expected. Jesus has has been talking about a new kingdom that's coming. and, And in our minds, we're thinking, this kingdom is going to be with Jesus as our King, and He's going to sit on a visible throne, and 
the, the power of the Romans is going to be thrown off and we're going to be able to now live free as Hebrew people in our own land, in our own space. And Jesus is going to be our king. This is what we're expecting. And now he's been taken away and killed. It's not what they expected. Can God still be trusted before Jesus was arrested? When they were up in that... I'm trying to shift here. We're going back in time a little bit, okay? They're in the upper room before Jesus ever went to the Garden of Gethsemane, before He had been arrested. Here they sit in that first Last Supper moment and Jesus begins to to do things and talk to them about things that are distressing because it's not what they're expecting. The first thing He does in John chapter 13 is that he, he hears and he senses among them uh, an in, inappropriate sense of pride. And so he takes off his outer garment, he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist, and he takes this water bowl and, and he sits down and begins to wash their feet. A very humiliating task in their day. Something that, that only the lowliest of people would do. And now here Jesus, their leader, their master, the one that they had seen multiply the bread and uh, fish, the one that they had seen raise people from the dead, this Jesus who had done miracle after miracle and taught with such authority, the same Jesus who had walked on the water now is bending down with water and washing their feet. And Peter, you'll remember, he stands up and he says, Jesus, you, you cannot wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And, and they were disturbed that Jesus would do such an act like this. This is not what a leader should do. And then, in that conversation, in that meal, and in that moment, he, he begins to talk about betrayal and how there's, there's a dark moment on the horizon. But it's not going to come from outside of our number. It's going to come from within. In fact, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And in that moment, they all begin to look at each other. And they're like, who in the world could it be? There seems to be no indication that Judas was about to do what he would end up doing and leading the soldiers and the leaders with their torches to carry him away in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's distressing. This is not what they expected. This is not how things were supposed to turn out in their minds. It was troubling to them. And then, to top it all off, Jesus begins to talk about that he was going to be leaving them. You talk about distressing Questions begin to fly out of Peter's mouth and Thomas and Philip. Questions that express the sense that, that Jesus, we don't know what's happening. We, we don't understand what you're talking about. We've been with you for three years and now you say you're leaving? What do you mean? You're, you're going somewhere that we can't follow. What are you talking about? And you can just, you can feel inwardly this inner wrestling that this is not what I expected. And then in John chapter 14, John 14, 1, we hear these words out of Jesus' mouth. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Beloved, Jesus is reminding us that when things are at a moment and we're in a season that we did not expect to be in, That God is to be trusted even through that. We're reminded last week that Psalm 23 is not not a psalm for the dead. It's a psalm for the living. That as it describes walking with God through the valleys that are darkened with deep, scary, 
unknowing shadows that we trust our good shepherd to lead us through those moments because he leads onto the green pastures and the still waters beyond those valleys. We trust God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. When you're in distress, remember who God is. When you're in distress, remember what God has done. When you're you're worried about the, the moment of your life and what is to come next, trust God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because ultimately, your trust is not in your abilities or uh, in the stock market or anything else. It's in God to lead you through. You see, when life brings what you did not expect, God can be trusted. I want to give you some ideas and helps, perhaps, of how do we build trust with God. Because these sorts of characteristics can sometimes take time to develop in us. And I just want to give you a few a few tips on how you might be a person that over time develops an increased sense of trust in God. Number one is by practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Brother Andrew wrote a great book many years ago that helps us with this. And he was a... a a kitchen helper in a monastery years ago. And he wrote this little book uh, called The Presence of God. And he helps us understand how in every every activity of our daily life, whether it's a big activity and a big decision that needs a lot of prayer, or the most mundane thing we might do, washing dishes, filling up the dishwasher, emptying the dishwasher, we can turn it all into prayer reminders. You're doing your laundry, and you throw your, your dirty laundry in, and if you're like me, um, I'm not so much this way, but I remember back in college, you know, you do the old sniff test on your clothes. You know what I mean? You look at it, it doesn't look very dirty, but if it doesn't smell too bad, maybe it can be recycled. If it smells bad, it goes in the laundry pile. But, but you, you put your laundry in the laundry machine, and even in an act like that, you can begin to use that as a prayer prompt to say, God... You know, there's this thing going on, or there's this anger in my heart toward this person, a lack of forgiveness, and I'm just asking you, as, as this laundry is going to be washed and the stink is going to be taken out of my clothes, would, would you take the stink out of this relationship? Would you, would you cleanse me again in this? Or you're out gardening, and you're, you're weeding your garden, and, and you, you ask the Lord to help take the weeds out of your life, the things that you're noticing are beginning to choke out the, the aspects that feed your soul and your spirit to... And you're asking the Lord to to come and weed again and to help you participate with Him in that process. Whatever it is, it can be the most mundane thing. As you're driving to work, you can be reminded that God is, is guiding your journey forward. And that you pray that He would help you as you go forward. In Isaiah chapter 30, when God is... He's chastising the Israelites for, for their lack of obedience and how they've gotten into their predicament. But he, there's a part in there in chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse 15, where he describes how if they had done a few other different things, that their whole journey would have turned out differently. And here's what it says in Isaiah 30, 15. He says, in repentance and rest is salvation. In quietness and trust is strength. In repentance and rest is salvation. In quietness and trust is strength. You see, friends, 
practicing the presence of God. And when we learn to do that every day of our lives, it grows and expands. Our lives become like a balloon. and We get filled with an understanding that God is with us through every season of our life. And He can be trusted. He can be trusted when things turn out the way you did not expect. Number two, practicing the presence of God. Number two is examining your perspective. Examining your perspective. Here's what I mean by that is so often the, the circumstance can be so overwhelming and we're, we're wondering how we got into this mess or how this mess came to us and what we're going to do to get out of it. And so often it, it, we can sort of be lulled into a sense that I am the center of things and everything is supposed to move around me for my benefit. These relationships are supposed to move around my life so that I can be happy. This job is supposed to work in a way so that I'm at the center of everything. And so often, I think, in our distress, it's, we, we get overwhelmed with distress because we put ourselves in the center of life rather than recognizing from the right perspective that God is at the center of life. And that things revolve around God. That your life revolves around God. And so as we grow in faith, our prayer stops being, God, would you come and do this in my life? And increasingly as we grow, we say, God, you're doing this in the world. Help me to connect my life with what you're doing. Because I'm not the center. You are the center. So I need to connect my life to what you're about. That's how we examine our perspective and we begin to ask the Lord I'm, and asking Him to remind me that I'm not the center. We're reminded that my understanding at any moment of life is pretty limited. It's pretty limited. I've lived about half my life now, I guess. Maybe I'm at the end, I don't know. But if averages are right and I live an average adult male life, I'm about at the halfway point. And I've, I've learned a lot. I've got a little bit of wisdom behind me, but I've also realized that I just don't know a whole lot. You know what I mean? You don't know what I mean? (laughs) The longer you live, I think, and the more honest you are with life, you realize that that you've learned a lot, but you really don't know a whole lot. You you feel me? I hope that's a wise space. (laughs) Lord, maybe I need to learn more. Would you teach me? But as we go along, we realize that, you know, my knowledge is limited as I'm facing this particular issue or this circumstance or whatever, that my knowledge about it is limited. Proverbs chapter 3, one of my favorite passages, reminds us to lean not on my own understanding, that I'm not to, I'm not to put all of my weight in what I think or my own evaluation, but I have to put my trust in God, and He is the one who will make my path straight. So when we, when we evaluate our perspective, it's about learning from Proverbs chapter 3 that my knowledge is limited and through the moments that I don't understand or I lack understanding, that that's where I need to trust God all the more. Practicing the presence of God. Examining my perspective. Number three is patience and prayer. Probably the two most practical handles to hang on to, but maybe the most elusive I don't know how you gain patience other than going through things that drive you crazy. If you've learned the secret to developing patience, 
without going through some frustrating and hard times, would you please call me and let me know? Patience is gathered through experience through difficult times. When we are tempted to step over the edge and to give up, patience is called for. In Romans chapter 12, it's a bit of a a bit of an ending of what Paul is describing. Romans 12, 12. He tells us that we are to be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. So we're to be people who grow in patience and develop our prayer life so that as we're practicing the presence of God and we're examining our perspective, all of that leads us to a place where we are more prayerful constantly in our lives. And as we're more prayerful and as we go through these moments, following our good shepherd through those darkened valleys to get to the greener pastures through and beyond. See, God doesn't take us over the valleys that are dark. He doesn't take us around the valleys. He doesn't burrow us under the valleys. What He does as a good shepherd is He takes us through the valley. And as we go through the valley following our good shepherd, we learn patience. And all of that patience is developed as we pray and as we practice His presence and as we evaluate our perspective. Finally, and then I'll be done is that God is faithful even when I am not. God is faithful even when you and I are not. That God remains faithful to His plan and purpose even when you and I find ourselves in an unfaithful space. That you've done things, you've thought things, whatever it is that are displeasing to God, you've stepped into a, a sinful pattern of life. God is not done with you. God is not suddenly going to just throw his hands up and walk away. God is still working out his purpose and his plan, and he's faithful to that. And he wants to guide you and to collect you and and to move you through that with him. But even when you and I fail, and I want to tell you that there will be moments when you will fail, that God is faithful to his plan and purpose in his world and in your life. God is faithful. We're reminded that even in our faithfulness, that His His faithfulness is not contingent upon my faithfulness. That's the story of the Scripture. We see that in the Garden of Eden. We see it in the desert wanderings of the Israelites. We see it as they try to take plant their lives in, in the Promised Land. We see this continued pattern of unfaithfulness by the people. They go off into exile. And God still takes them and says, I'm going to keep a remnant for myself. And and then he brings them back and he brings Christ into the world. And and then we live lives and sometimes we think, oh, I'm so much better than those people in the Old Testament. But we're not. We live lives, sometimes we fail. But I want you to know we worship a God who forgives and restores and redeems. And his faithfulness to you and to his plan in the world is not contingent upon your faithfulness. That you are called to increasingly walk in purity, to increasingly grow in your faithfulness. Absolutely. I think I'm done. This morning, I want to tell you that if you're tempted to give up, if you're in a season that you can't believe, there's... A burden in your life for somebody else because they're in a season that is so hard. I want to remind you that God can be trusted. That God wants to carry you through. 
that he's still working his plan in his world. He's still working his plan for you. He wants to grow endurance in you as he would navigate you through the waters of your life. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us be patient in you, that you would grow us in the ability to practice your presence, to to discipline ourselves, to be mindful of where you are each and every part of our day, that any moment is a good moment to pray, that any activity, any event can prompt us to pray and to cast our eyes towards you and our thoughts towards you. You've told us, God, that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. But you've also said that you want to shape the person of Jesus more and more into us so that increasingly we, we think your thoughts after you. Increasingly, we are drawn to the things that delight you. Increasingly, we turn away from the things that displease you. Increasingly, you become the center of our life and our perspective, not us. So help us to examine our perspective. Help us today to walk in hope, to have hope renewed, that we might mount up with wings like eagles, we might run and not grow weary, and that we might walk and not become faint. So God, we thank you for being a God who is trustworthy. And you've demonstrated it over and over and over again throughout history. You've done it in so many of our lives. Help us to be faithful in sharing your story of what you've done to each other so that through our testimonies, others can see and rejoice in who you are. We thank you. And we bless your name this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.